It's the sit and buy show. 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 I was wondering if either of you ever ever had the disease of Morelgia parasthetica. You know what that is? Uh, not exactly, but uh, uh, it sounds like something I don't want to have. It's it's a vascular disorder that you get from wearing tight clothing. So, you know those short shorts that you were wearing. I don't know. Did you ever lose circulation in your leg during the game when Max was yelling at you? Uh, you know, with those shorts on. I, I've never seen shorts quite that short, but our viewers can chime in on that when we post it on the, on, on the video, so. Not only were they short, they were lime green. They were lime green. <laughs> classic, classic 70s stuff. So I'm gonna try well, to oh, yeah, uh, Chris, I, I, I hate to jump in, but I gotta correct you right off the bat, even as a guest, uh, Mark and I, we're, we're hoopsters of the 80s. Oh, um, that was in the 80s. I think some of those pictures are technically from the 80s, right, Mark? Yes, they are. 80, right. 81. When did you, they were even, when did you they were even shorter in the 70s. <laughs> Didn't you start at St. Pat's in the 70s, though? Or did, did yes, you start? yes, yes, we did, but those pictures were from the 80s. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, for anybody that sees those pictures, thank you for clarifying, Gene. It's the sit and bite show. It's the sit and bite show. It's the sit. When you're when you're tasting wine, I, I don't I don't know a Boone's Farm apple wine from a Cabernet, but when you're tasting it, do you do this? Do you do this? That sort of thing, or do you do this where you're sniffing into it? Do you do all that stuff? And and if you do, why do you do that? Well, you just did two of the things that maybe if you're not a wine drinker, that all wine drinkers should do. The first thing that you did was called a swirl. And when you swirl the wine in your mouth, you have many taste buds in there and it allows your taste buds to absorb it and send it to your brain and tell you whether you like it or not. A lot of people just take the wine and they don't swirl it, you drink it, and your taste buds don't get the opportunity to do what they're supposed to do. So when you do swirl it, you are allowing your taste buds to send a signal to your brain whether you like the wine or you don't like the wine. Excellent. Okay. okay. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? Yeah, you sure can. When you, when you do the swirl, I, I've seen people like discard the swirl. Is that something you're supposed to do or are you supposed to swallow after the swirl well usually if you discard it you're a taster and then you're cleansing then you'll cleanse your palate and you'll go to maybe a different glass altogether but i don't see any reason to discard it when the sole purpose is to enjoy your glass of wine i'm with you Absolutely. it's like throwing the fish back in the ocean why would you do that right yeah well i've been to 
a wine tasting before where they all did that. They had a special area where you you spit it out, but I wasn't one of those believers. <laughs> yeah, I'd never spit out the wine. Never. It's the set and buy show. What did you see that nobody else saw with, with Hardaway? Well, the, the basis of my recruiting, because I'd only been in Division One for a year, so I really didn't know what I was looking for. So here's what I did, Sid. You'll think this is funny, but it's very true. Is at North Park, we had a center named Michael Harper, who wound up in the NBA for a couple of years, and then played in Europe for many years. And, uh, you know, for a Division Three guy to make the NBA was, a, you know, really a freakish thing. So he was our center, our best uh sort of swing man was Modzell Bud Greer. He, Bud was my roommate, of course, and I'm still in touch with Bud. And the point guard was a guy named Mike Thomas. They all got drafted, but every player I ever saw for those first few years, all I did was just compare them to either, you know, if it was an uh, inside player, I compared him to Michael Harper. And if he was a swing man, I compared him to Bud Greer. And a point guard, I compared him to Mike Thomas. So I watched Tim Hardaway play in a playground game, just playing three on three in the wind, at South Shore Park, and I thought, wow, this guy's pretty good. He's, he's nearly as good as Mike Thomas, which was, was true at the time, and I liked him so much that I thought, I'll go watch him again a few days later. So I went to the South Shore YMCA. The first game was outdoors. The second game was out at, the, at the YMCA, and at that age, I was still playing a little bit. I was a terrible player, and probably the best advice Tim Floyd ever gave me was, he said, Russ, you know, you, you really, you know, he had that Southern accent. I said, you really shouldn't let anybody ever see you play. <laughs> Part of it was I could do those dribbling drills really well. And if people saw the dribbling drills, they just assumed, you know, I was a great player. But so I played that day with Hardaway and Walt Frazier Jr. was there and Ben Wilson, who wound up getting wow. killed a few months. So I met Ben Wilson and I asked Ben Wilson, who do you think is better, Ben? Because we were trying to decide between Tim Hardaway and uh, Anth a player named Anthony Manuel, who wound up as MVP of the Missouri Valley, Anthony Manuel. He's a great player too, not quite as good as Tim. But Ben said, well, they're both great players, but whoever signs Tim Hardaway is going to be very, very lucky. And this was, a, something, this was something that Tim Floyd had taught me. Is he said, the players all know who the best player is. That, that, that Sometimes you can just ask the players who's better, this guy or this guy, and they would give you a better read than any of the scouting reports did. But what I saw, what, what Hardaway could do, Sit was he had eyes, you know, he had eyes in the back of his head. He could really see the floor. He had that funny shot, and he shot it as a set shot at the time. And people think that I'd helped Tim Hardaway with his dribbling skills. He was already a great dribbler that day. I don't think I helped him one bit with his dribbling skills. Maybe the only thing I ever really helped Tim Hardaway with was I told him at a very, very early after we recruited him was stop shooting set shots that you needed to shoot. There's no 5'11 guy shooting set shots. So he, he took that awkward shot and he started jumping on it. And to his credit, I did that was the only thing I told him really. I could, you know, Pi was a great shooting coach. I was a pretty good dribbling coach, but I think the only thing I really helped him with was, you know, shoot, shoot, shoot jump shots, don't shoot set shots. But, but, but the bottom line was he could really see the floor, and you could see that in the three-on-three -three game, and you could see it at the South Shore YMCA, and I thought, and, oh, and by the way, uh, I think, I'm trying to remember now if it was Keith French or Bud or both of them that went with me to watch Tim at the South Shore Y, and afterwards we sort of huddled up and met in my rental car, and they said, we all agreed, Hardaway's going to be a great player, but he's not as good as Mike Thomas.
And that's, and that's, it, that's no knock on Hardaway. It's an indication of how good, you know, Mike was a draft choice of the Philadelphia 76ers. Of course, Hardaway turned out to be a little better than Mike Thomas, but, you know, but that was always my barometer for, for, for the first four or five years when I was coaching is compare them to the great players we had at North Park. It's the Sit and Bite Show. 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 You know, Kathy, after your dad finished his playing career, uh, which was I mean, by NBA standards, say pretty short, 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, he had the opportunity to go back to Evansville to become the coach there, which was right. the coach's desire. Once he retired, he wanted your dad to come back and be the head coach at Evansville. And your dad accepted the job, but only lasted a very short time, five days. Mm -hmm. And one of the ironic stories, I think, in your dad's history is the fact that that same year, the Evansville team perished in a plane crash. Correct. And that, that to me is, is just incredible how, you know, your dad's life carried on so far and so great after that, but one decision could have changed all of that. I know. And you know, it's funny, not funny, but we always wondered and he never told us, but uh, something changed his mind and who knows what it was. He never was forthright about it to not even my mom. Right. I think he just told her that it didn't feel right. And thank God it didn't feel right. You know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was a very, very horrible tragedy and a uh, very rough time. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure that really affected him just, you know, uh, it was his alma mater and oh. you know, the fact that he could have been on that plane. Yeah. That it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and he knew a lot of the, he knew the kids and there were a lot of Southern Illinois kids, a lot of Evansville kids and, you know, from the Midwest and he got to know those kids and, you know, it was, it was hard on him. It was terrible. Right. Um, so I don't know. Mm. I'm just glad he didn't take the job. It's the set and bot show. It's the sit and bash show. 